No, the competition can actually be very aggressive. That was Blaze from the Open Shards Alliance. And the competition that he is referring to is, of course, Stake Wars, episode three. On today's episode, we cover everything you need to know about Stake Wars. We start with the basics, such as Blaze's path into the near ecosystems and the creation of the Open Shards Alliance. And then we start getting increasingly technical, just at the right pace, so that my muggle brain can keep up and we can deconstruct all the concepts, such as the near roadmap towards decentralization, the transition from phase zero to phase one, sharding chunk-only producers. This may just be the episode where it finally all makes sense. I absolutely love the episode because Blaze went above and beyond what I was expecting. There are some war stories from previous competitions which are really entertaining and, most importantly, some extremely valuable tips for all the participants in the upcoming competition. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy today's conversation with Blaze, and if you're participating in the upcoming Stake Wars competition, may the stake be with you. Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, I am thrilled to have with me no other than Blaze from Open Shards Alliance. Open Shards Alliance is an institution that helps all validators on Near, and today is going to be a very topical podcast as Near just announced the upcoming Stake Wars. Welcome, Blaze. Thanks. Glad to be here with you. Are you still like pseudo anonymous with Blaze, or would you like us to disclose your real name? I think that's still how a lot of people know me in the community, so I don't really mind going by that name. It's interesting. You were one of those people that I, I mean, we go a long way back to the Ref Finance Community Board. We were on calls pretty much every week for months. And yeah, it's amazing how you do build an identity through that chosen name. So then... As I started meeting you in person and some people introduced us again, I was like, who is this H person? I don't know. Yeah, a lot of folks we haven't met in real life and we don't really jump on cameras very much. So still to the near community, a lot of people know me as that. So I was actually reflecting that even within those community calls, it's only a handful of people that turn their cameras on. I know that some are driving and probably sleeping, but <laughs> it's it takes a special kind of leadership, I think, to get to the stage where your camera gets turned on. And I think that's why you're here today. We have a lot to cover. So I'd like an introduction of the Open Shards Alliance, Stake Wars, and your very sick project. But first, maybe just start telling us like how you got into the wonderful world of crypto, near specifically, and I guess going down the very niche area of validators. Yeah, my career has really been in technology. So I've been in technology my entire career, anything from development to server system administration. So I come from an IT background and when Ethereum was picking up speed, I decided to invest in an ETH miner. That was my first venture into crypto, setting up an ETH miner and mining ETH. And that kind of dipped my toe in the water. And as I started looking at Ethereum, I could see the bottlenecks. I played an early game on Ethereum called the Crypto Dozer, and you would push these coins off the edge and you would collect dolls, and those dolls could then in turn yield you ETH. So I was kind of looking at other projects, and I came along near on a Google News article 
And I was immediately fascinated with Nier. From that point, I jumped into the community, just started, started aping around it, diving into everything that I possibly could, found the, the validators program, the second stake wars they were running, joined that helped Stefano run that, then became a validator. The spinoff of that was we had a lot of tryst in the validator program, but near only had a hundred seats. So then we had the idea, okay, we've got all this extra in interest. Let's spin up another network in another community that folks that were interested in near could then join. That became the open chart Alliance. We're, we've been running that to this day. We've helped with several, um, staking competitions. We helped onboard the last 49 validators to mainnet recently and took from a support standpoint, helped filter out folks that could actually cut, make the cut and create a leaderboard, did all kinds of things. So we've really been active in helping the validator scene, even when larger validators have come along that were made part of an institution or a large investment firm, we helped them navigate near and get their validator running and get online. So that's amazing. By any chance, do you remember around what date was that Google news article and what were some of the specific things in the article that made near stand out for you? And I'm asking as a content creator. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was in May or April of 2019 that I saw that. And it was at near protocol I had did a fundraising round of 24 million. So I said, okay, they've raised some money. They have the ability to do that. So I just started looking at who the founders were. I saw that the near.org website at that time, they actually had the team published and I could see that a lot of the folks on the team were world-class programmers and people from Facebook and Google, and I think it's MSQL. So I knew that they had the right talent on board to probably deliver something that was very compelling. That's something that I find interesting now that because of the decentralization aspect, you know, we, we don't want to have like a core team or people that are seen to be leading the project to strongly in one direction. We've had the split between foundation and pagoda, but I still feel like just like the quality of talent in that top team crop is incredible. Like it's like ICPC winners, finalists, all sorts of like very advanced AI competition. That's something that I think it's very common to miss for near like blockchain can be very clunky you and i both had ethereum miners we know how it was almost like you, you watched the chips process transactions one by one but near really tries to approach a scalability dilemma through software like it's actual algorithmic innovation which really prices out i think most brains around the world so it's a really interesting experiment i think to hedge your bets or this group of people that they're pushing the boundaries and if they pull it off, it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. So I think that potentially takes us to the next stage. I'm cheating because I've got the decentralization roadmap right in front of me, but I know that of all the amazing things that Neo is building, we're only in phase zero. <laughs> so I don't know if you recall from memory or if you could give us an overview, what desired end state wants to be and like where we're now and how Stake Wars episode three fits in. Sure. Yeah. So right now we're moving, we're in that phase zero, which means that we have four shards running on mainnet. But what has to happen is the current validators have to both produce the chunks in the block. So 
to further that decentralization even more, they're going to split those two validator sets and we're coming up with, Nier's coming up with a chunk only producer so that now validators could run the hardware to run the block production, but then you can run a smaller set of hardware to run the chunk production. So it'll be less hardware requirements. It'll probably be less stake for sure to get one of these chuck producers up and running. And so that's the next phase. Beyond that, the end game is really dynamic sharding is the end game of it all. And that is where the network has the ability to scale and open up shards dynamically instead of doing it manually via the Genesis or the config. And uh, with that, it also has the ability to scale the transactions across those shards without any really configuration, reconfiguration of the validator. So that's still a ways off, but that's the end game of the sharding design. I think the dynamic we're going to have today is I'm going to ask questions and then I'm going to try to relay it back to you in like model terms, just to make sure that I'm understanding because one of the I guess like the sweet spot where we're going towards is near is a very complex and advanced like technological solution. Like it is certainly different from other blockchains. And I think it opens a world of possibility, but we're also trying to make it as accessible as possible. And I think that's where the state works program is going, really trying to onboard as many people to run one of these validators. Before we jump onto state words, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we use the parallel just to try to be crystal clear on what the problem is for on the problem that we're trying to solve. Ethereum at the moment is just one chain, correct? Yeah. And in their sharding model, that one chain would be called the beacon chain. So on a single chain model, you basically have block by block. It's like someone walking step by step and there is a limit on how many transactions can go on each block. Or you could say there's a limit on how far each feed can spread from the next one, like the distance they can travel. On a sharded model, which was Ethereum's original design and which is what Nier has now, you basically have multiple people walking next to each other so they can all carry more stuff. Maybe the carrying stuff analogy is better than how far their feet can spread. <laughs> so people walking side by side are able to carry a lot more transactions. And the really cool thing about dynamic sharding, which like blew my mind when I read it, is that it's about resource efficiency. So you don't want to have too few shards so that if there's a spike in demand, it can't cope. So the price of transaction goes up. That would be bad for the user and the application. But also if there is a spike and you have 20 shards and then the number of transactions comes back down, then it becomes really expensive to run the network because you have 20 shards and maybe 10 are underutilized. So the dynamic aspect is mind blowing because I feel like you can probably start to see some parallels with what may be familiar with people in web two around cloud computing and AWS, and it expands and contracts depending on your usage. So I think that is really exciting for people. The other thing that caught my attention from the new documentation is that app developers and users don't have to worry or know or care of which shard they're located on. So. I think it says a lot about the nature of the communication cross shards and the dynamic. And this is where the question comes in. I've heard, I've read some things that I grasp, but I get lost a little bit. They try to differentiate between the processing state and the memory state and the transaction state. 
And I think there's something about that that means that the shards on Ethereum wouldn't be able to communicate with each other. So they're basically separating the processing with the data availability. But on Near, I think that they strike a much better balance where it is actually happening in a better way. Yeah. Would you be able to expand on that? Yeah, I can just get it, give a, just a summary of it. But basically in Ethereum, there's a beacon chain and that beacon chain is what maintains the state of the network. So it's all on this one chain and all of these other validators that are within the network get a sync up with that. So there's a syncing back and forth between this one main chain and they all have, they all stay in sync with that chain. Near's different in that with the shards, validators that are participating in a shard those are the validators that are maintaining the state for that shard at that time. So it's, there is no main beacon chain that everything has to report up to. The validators through consensus actually are the ones managing the state per shard and they can do multiple shards as well. Like right now, all validators validate all shards, but in the future, validators would be able to validate on one shard. And between those validators, they would have consensus amongst themselves. And so all of that gets written out. And then, so you've got multiple shards being validated. So the way it would work is say, I've got the APB validator manifesting to the universe. (laughs) I've got the APB validator on one shard. I would process every transaction on that shard and then sum them up as a chunk and push them out to the other shards. Is that correct? Yeah, you would validate as first you would, you would send your own chunks up to the block producers once we get to that state and then the chunks go within a block. So the block producer validators do a little bit more work. Yeah, you would participate in the end game in one shard, but other validators could be participating in another shard. And that doesn't even encapsulate private sharding, which is a whole nother thing that's coming down the pike, but. This is on the main chain where everything, the public chain, if you will. So private sharding would, is that referring to like private transactions or entities running their own shard on near? Correct. Entities running their own shard. Yeah. So being able to split that out. So that's that's fascinating. Yeah. So that's another aspect that's in work there. But right now in terms of the sharding, yeah, it's a multi-phase approach because it's very technical and very complex problem set to solve. So interesting. And just to confirm, we have 100 validators now and four shards live. Yes. And all 100 validators are validated transactions and all four shards. Correct. And if I understand correctly, one shard is for Aurora and the other three for Nier? Yeah, they do run Aurora on one shard. So they may have one of their own shards in there, correct. But I'm not 100% sure. I haven't looked into that on how they're dividing it, but I know they're running a shard right now. So, yeah, I may be wrong, but I think that some of the logic behind splitting the two was just to make sure that there were at least two shards with transactions to see how the validators behave. Amazing. So you mentioned something really interesting around helping onboard people. And I am a decentralization maxi. I think that we take a lot of things for granted. I really do believe that AWS and other cloud providers have made it so easy to just put in your credit card details and everything works that we've conditioned people to assume that things just work. 
And Nier has a problem that it is able to create such good user experiences that resemble Web2 that maybe people carry over that assumption that it's just going to work. But as the chief invalidator, I'd like you to give us a sense of what are the possible risks if validators are not set properly or if somebody were to become a validator with like malicious intention, because I feel like there's something really interesting and special to that approach of expanding the validator set within active community participants and basically almost ensuring that the next 50% validators, which could potentially present risk to the network, I would assume, are within a known and active and committed group. But yeah, I'll let you expand a little bit on, on that. Yeah, so the cool thing about Near is we have one second block times and three second finality, right? So what that means is that by the time a transaction is written by a validator within three seconds, it's been validated by 67% of the rest of the validators. So to collude in some kind of malicious intent in Near, you would have to have 67% of the validators collude, which would be very difficult to do in a decentralized world. Now, right now there's no slashing on near, but if a malicious validator was to try to infiltrate the blockchain and they didn't get that at 67%, basically if you miss too many blocks, you have to hit a 90% threshold of all blocks that are produced. If you don't make 90%, then you get kicked. They would probably very radically be eliminated from the network. Now. I know there's additional security measures coming down the road that make it even more complicated to do something like that, but you'd have to get 67% of the validators to collude with you, which I think would be a very difficult task in decentralization. There's two components there. One would be the technical design to avoid malicious attacks and I guess placing hurdles on the network and self-correcting mechanisms. That one is slightly out of my scope, but I do get the second mm -hmm. one, which is more where I come in, or I guess where I was thinking, where I do my conspiracy theories would be like the economic models. So for instance, right now we only have a hundred validators, well, 101. I am assuming that we've capped at 101 validators to ensure that when we expand, we can admit the next block of validators will still be like trustworthy. I don't know if it's actually a technical reason why we're capped at 101, but I can see how a malicious player, and this would be a maths calculation. How much does it cost you to set each validator if you need 67% and you can attack the network? And with the ability to open leverage trades, or if you're a government, or if you're a competing blockchain, like when you think about decentralization, you really have to be resilient to any and all kind of attacks. Like we can't just assume that, oh, that is possible, but it's not going to happen. That's not going to flow. So yeah, I think that, yeah, if we open the floodgates, it would technically be possible for somebody to get a hundred enough validators to take over. So yeah, is that a correct assumption that we're like opening the gate slowly till we are uh, resilient enough? The original 100 validators was based on the current architecture of sharding. So that's really all we needed to support that. And there wasn't enough demand really needed to extend that beyond 100. It could have been done. 
but there wasn't enough demand to do that. Some of it's demand. Some of it, I think it's mainly demand, but the other piece is separating out the block production from the chunk production. That's what allows us to scale a lot better, which is this next phase. So you're right though, we'll introduce two thirds more validators. There could always be potential for that. Now, hopefully as we run these competitions and they're all community source, community governed, we can really find the people that really want to be a part of near and that have good intentions. But yeah, there's no, like you said, there's certainly no way to completely control that with decentralization. Nice. I know that Open Shots Alliance was heavily involved with Stank Wars 2 and two. the first one as well. Can you give us a really quick overview of how those two went before we jump onto Stank Wars 3? Yeah. So I think they went pretty well. The idea behind decentralization is really you want to have people come in that are interested in near that, that also have the technical capability, but may or may not have the financial capability to run a validator on mainnet right now that is highly expensive. So chunk producers will reduce that cost, but it'll still probably be pretty expensive. I think that it's a great opportunity for a worldwide option of near and to get people from all over the world that may have the technical expertise, may have the commitment to near, but not necessarily have the financial backing. So from that perspective, I think Stake Force has done a really good job. And we found some really good rock stars for near as well through the process. I feel like I missed out because when we had that extra, we went from 60 to a hundred, I noticed a fair few of the active community members that I've been in contact with and that I know, they got a validator. And at the time we were thinking about getting a validator from Misfits. And yeah, I feel like we should have been involved <laughs> earlier on yeah. with the Open Shards Alliance. Like I'm on the website now and I can see that you guys have been added for a while. So you have everything on the current challenges as resources available. There's to set up your node, maintain one seat, implement monitoring, monitor the node. And there's all the information as well for GuildNet, which is that parallel, I guess. Would be like a testnet? Yeah, it's a uh, testnet, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So I can see that you have up to eight shards now, 100 seats each. So how far ahead in time is GuildNet now from the near roadmap? As far as just the shards, we're running double the number of shards and we have been since inception. We started out with eight shards. Our blocks are much further because one of the things we wanted to do with GuildNet was increase the block time. So we have shorter epochs so that they're not 24 hours. They're more dependent on network load and things like that. They're more like six to eight hours. So we have shorter epochs, which means our block heights a lot lot taller and a lot higher than even mainnet right now. So it's been a really good experiment and it's really been a great place for people to come into the air and learn how to be a validator. And out of curiosity, how are you guys dealing with the transaction side? Is there a way to put tra transactions through to see how the network behaves or? Yeah. So we definitely have had some developers come along that did some dApp development. Matter of fact, the initial development of Metapool started on GuildNet. That's where Lucio was running some of the transactions and had multiple nodes running, testing things. And then obviously they moved on to TestNet from there. So he was an early partner in GuildNet and really helped support the network. And he had 
Metapool is our largest partner. So we've been with them since day one. Just they've been helping and assisting us and always promoting OSA. And we try to do the same as well. So it's really nice to see people that share that vision and mindset like pull together. I guess I was drawn into Metapool as well because of that vision of, yeah, just enabling the community and like maintaining the network decentralized. It's amazing how. Once again, if you start removing the assumptions and like looking into the raw data, the truth is that NIR is not decentralized much at the moment. Like we're on a pathway to make it more decentralized. That's why I encourage people to stake if they can and to stake with liquid staking if they can, because the stake gets spread across many validators. Okay. So I think we are warming up. We're getting pretty close to stake wars episode. Three. First of all, I just want to congratulate to whoever came up with this branding for something so raw and so technical. I think that it's fun as a play of words. It catches people's attention. We may get copyright claims against us, but that is for the foundation to figure out. Yeah, it's Stefano Pepe who actually ran the first stake wars and then moved on to the wallet team. So. Stefano was really the brain behind that. Nice, nice. I like it. It does require a little bit of explanation, the war component. I guess it really depends on the challenges that each partner creates. But the war component make it look like it's a validator set against a validator and like stress test and bring down the network and hack it. I think it's a lot more more passive and more collaborative than that. But yeah, Nier just shared the official announcement today, which is really exciting. Stake Wars 3 will be focusing on the chunk only producers, which is a special category of validators on one shard, as we've been talking up until now. And the really exciting thing about Stake Wars is that it is being run by the community. So Pagoda is giving out the guidelines loosely and inviting some key community partners, such as Metapool and Open Charts Alliance. And the final outcome should be enough near delegated so that all these new validators can secure their seat yeah. and maintain their seat, which is a huge feat. Like we're talking up to 50,000 near potentially, which yeah. is even with his prices, yeah. it's not a small sum of money. So I think it's easy to see the challenge of trying to expand the network and keeping it decentralized. That's a key bit. Because if you had to filter out the amount of people that have 50,000 near to open a node, you automatically get to a very small fraction of people that would automatically control the network. So from my end, and I'm helping run some of the challenges on the Metapool side, I think it's going to be a huge education challenge just to blast out to the world how the near decentralization works and how our sharding works. I feel like not enough people understand it. And if we could get it in front of more eyes, they could have the same reaction that you had and come on board and start to play. The second component would be training. So making sure that everyone gets a chance to set up a validator and have fun while doing it. And the third one would be just to bring down the barrier of access as low as possible. We don't want the ticket price to be an excuse not to participate. Some may say that this is going to be a unique opportunity to get a validator seat. If you wanted to do it the traditional way later on, presumably you have to fork out the cash. Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's an absolute opportunity for someone that 
could be fundamentally life-changing. I hate to say it that way. It could be something where someone comes along and they're one of the top contenders in this competition. They get a delegation from the foundation, which could be huge over the long haul. It is indeed life-changing, especially we're really trying not to make the competition about the honeypot at the end because we yeah. really want to preserve the community builders ethos. But the truth is, it is a huge opportunity. And for people that do commit the time and the resources, it is going to be well worth it. A quick overview and correct me if I'm missing something. So with validators, they get to set their own fee. So there's a passive income from the total near delegated to them. So having the initial seed money would mean at least passive income on that much and maintaining the seed. We will be looking for people that are active within the community. So presumably they should be able to get extra delegation from their users or their local communities. But a big component of bringing in the liquid staking providers is that for anyone that delegates, for instance, with Metapool, we automatically distribute across all validators. So not only are you getting enough near to get your validator up and running, but there's a very good chance that over time, you will keep getting more and more near delegated, either as the network grows and there's just more near going yeah. into staking. Or if you were to look at it in dollar terms, when near goes to $50, you may still have the same number of near in your node, but now you're getting a much higher percentage return in dollar terms. So it is going to be really good. We're really encouraging everyone that we've seen active in the community to participate. But this brings me to my next question. From your previous experience, how would you describe the current profile of validators and what should we be looking for in the next profile? And I'll be doing some outreach to invite people to participate. So the validators at Excel are really those that come from an IT system administrator standpoint. They understand Linux. They understand the Linux command line. They have technical knowledge about hardware and you know how to manage hardware, how to size hardware. Monitoring is a key point. You got to monitor and you got to understand monitoring and have the metrics in place to alert you when things are going awry. So they really do have a, a high technical footprint. So these are people that are on average, probably one to five years experience in the technical realm at system administration. Many of these people. Some folks are not. Some folks come in and they're very good at learning quickly and they go through the boot camps and things and they pick it up and they excel. But I would say that, yeah, in most cases, people that understand how to use the Linux command line are probably going to excel faster than others. And for the quick learners and ambitious, there will be the Open Charts Alliance bootcamp and there is a lot of documentation do you think that it would be possible for someone with, say, a more broad technical background, I don't know, let's say a mechanical engineer, they've got a technical brain, maybe they've dabbled with some code or maybe they've dabbled with some near, or maybe a more, someone with a DAP, a lending platform or a yeah. Nodex. Do you think it'd be possible for them to pick up the documentation, learn the ropes, and how much community support is it for them to learn and go online? And that's a great point. So I said that the more technical sysadmins, but engineers, anybody that's an app developer can pick this up. 
it's not complicated, but it is complicated at the same, but yeah, the documentation is out there to really help someone navigate the process as well as the Open Chart Alliance Discord. You can get support there, one-on-one support, because there are varying degrees of issues you can run into, but there's a lot of support out there, lots of documentation, as you said. So I think that, yeah, anyone can probably come along and attempt to do it, but you do have to have a certain level of technical prowess to actually pull it off. Actually, I really like that approach because I do think that we should cast a really wide net because sometimes people don't know what they don't know. Some may be impressed at how easily they pick it up. Maybe they like the community. Maybe their commitment to Nier is just so high that they dive deep and become a Linux master overnight. Some people may realize that it's just not for them. How much time commitment do you think on average that a validator operator would be dedicating? I think to learn about Nier and to get everything set up that you need to do, there's a pretty good time investment. I would say that maybe it's, unless you're very experienced with blockchain technology, could be 60 hours or more to really learn what you're doing. So it is a time investment, not to mention a hardware investment because you've got to go purchase a server to set this stuff up on. It's not really recommended to run these things. We definitely don't want validators running on home PCs, right? So you've got to have at least a virtual private server, which is going to range for you between 89 to 120 bucks a month. So there's a little bit of investment there. And for listeners considering participating, the rewards structure has been designed so that everyone that participates will get at least their costs of participation. So that would be the server costs for two months at very, I mean, around 500, I think it's the top end. Obviously it's cost space. Don't try to skip this one, please. Yeah. <laughs> there are some requirements you have to meet. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on, just before we move on, on the reward scheme. So there are three broad categories. The first one would be for all participants to cover the costs. We want people to not be out of pocket and just dedicate the time once again without the financial burden. I really hope that there's no one out there so broke that they really can't afford the service for an extra month. But once again, we don't want to impose a financial burden on anyone. The second would be people that do special work. They go above and beyond. So we will be creating some challenges in that space for people who take on and really rise and shine above our community. Some of the things that we're looking at in that category are around content creation, supporting other people in various ways, technical on the Discord, maybe holding in real life events for the communities to share the stake wars in your could be many things. And the third category would be for the top performers, the final seat on magnet. So it's, there's a lot for everyone there. You can see how, even if you participate and you don't end up in the final seat, you can still learn heaps. There's, I guess, minimal risk because the server costs are out of the way. And you may even be able to get some of the special category money, even if you don't end up with a validator. Like for instance, say I go bananas creating content. I'm kind of stupid, so I may not have an, the AVP validator may not happen, <laughs> but it's still going to be worth it for me to be actively involved as a member of the community. 
I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that anyone that's interested in looking into near and wanting to understand it at a deeper level, this stakeholders competition is the best way to get engaged at the fundamental level and learn more about near. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So Stake Wars is going to start on July the 13th, and there's going to be two stages. Phase one is going to be a dedicated testnet, just to make sure that nothing breaks. And then stage two is going to be on the regular testnet. And this is why I was asking you about how does the GuildNet deal with putting transactions through? Because last night with George, we actually explored the possibility of creating a special track for app developers. So if you have a DEX, if you have a game, incentivize them to deploy on testnet. And that way we can bring all the community participants, ensure that all the eyes are in stake wars. We have the technical people running the validators and obviously encourage as many to participate. We can encourage new projects to get visibility into testnet. And obviously if something breaks, doesn't matter. And just bring all the users into it once again. Blending in the narrative of how near works, why it is important, maybe some prices there for certain things. But yeah, just trying to push through as many transactions as possible. Go bananas with trading contests and NFT bonanzas and you name it. Yeah. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think the testnet is the place to do that right now. So Guildnet is experimental and we really don't have the infrastructure to support that and the competition right now from a support standpoint. So yeah, if we run that through testnet, we can absolutely do that. Certainly we can do some of that on GuildNet, but really our focus is on the support and managing the competition for them, which is on testnet and the new network you're setting up called ShardNet. So that's the new one. Those will be the two networks that it will be run on for this time. There's something about the word shard and shine. Yeah. It just lends itself to fantastic branding, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That's always the top part. It's uh, shardness. That's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing I would say is going back to your earlier comment is that it's more passive. You know, the competition can actually be very aggressive. And the reason is this, is that as more and more people come online, the seat price tends to go up just like on mainnet. So there is a potential for you to be kicked. And this is what happened a lot in Stake Wars 1 and 2 is that, well, not in 1, but in 2, many validators were kicked. But the key to winning Stake Wars is you have to have the most uptime and the most blocks produced. So if you're getting kicked from the network, you cannot do that. So you have to reach out to some of your other partners within the competition and find ways to get additional stake delegated to you. So whoever that might be from. So there is a competitive element there. Actually, that is fascinating. I, I totally missed that. It yeah. is a war to be it in the top 100 or 150. Yeah. And, and as you said, this also something clicked for me. Where does the near come from? I know that testnet, when you create a new account, it automatically gives you 100 near. Are there any special customizations for the shard net to enable people to have a ton of near to stake or how do we make the distribution balanced so that the aggregators actually have to go out there and hustle for the near? Yeah. Everyone usually starts the stake horse competition with the same amount delegated. Okay. But if you join the competition later, 
you're already at a disadvantage because every epoch, every validator that joins early is getting more and more near. So, because they're earning the rewards. And so a lot of times we set a threshold that says you can't have your staking rewards higher than 10%. But if you join 20 epochs later, then these guys have more stake than you. So you're going to be getting pushed down the leaderboard. So I guess that is a key tip we need to push. If you're playing the joint stake wars, do it the minute it starts. That is fascinating. And so does he understand if the validators that joined later ramp up the fee so that the amount of near the half stake increases faster because they're claiming more of their rewards. And presumably because it's testnet and near has no value, people don't really care how much the fee is for each validator. So that's a good rule to have just to simulate real world conditions. And the shardnet still have the element of new near wallets receive a set amount of near. I'm thinking, yeah, and I guess my key point was there, what if they set a threshold that says every validator in stake wars gets a hundred thousand delegated near or a hundred thousand near. Okay. If you join two weeks later, the other guys may have 120 or 150,000 near because they've been validating on the network for all that time. You still only get a hundred thousand. Meanwhile, with each new validator that joins the network, seat price is slowly escalating. That is so cool. I love the game theory that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, sir. That's why we have you on. I feel like I've been yeah. doing too much talking. I'm sorry. That's why we no, it's okay. Are there any more insights like dynamics you've noticed from previous wars that participants should take into account? Manage your uptime. If you're going to join this competition, you need to get your monitoring in place and make sure you're on a reliable system that's not going down, that doesn't have internet connections. If you want to win, you've got to keep that node up because every time you get kicked, you miss two epochs worth of rewards because it takes you two, e two, to, two to three epochs to get back in the validator set. So you've just lost three epochs of rewards where everybody else is still stacking. So to win the competition, you have to stay online. What I'm trying to ascertain here is, because I was aware of Stake Wars too, but I didn't participate. I didn't have much visibility. Was the competition so fierce for those extra seats that people that participated missed out? Like, did we have more demand than seats available? So that the competition was really intense. 100%. And are we expecting the same for Stake Wars 3? Because as a bystander, I would have thought that getting 100 or 150 new validators would actually be quite challenging. But when you think about it, we've got a ton of developers, a ton of projects, a building a near, and it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Stake Wars 2, we had 100 seats. I think we had 400 validators, three to 400 validators competing. So if we have 200 seats and we have 600 interested and we get somewhere around that to participate, yeah, it will absolutely be a war. Join early and stay online. This is amazing. I think we're going to have to have a daily debrief. 
Yeah. See what's <laughs> happening. We can have a leaderboard. I'm honestly seeing there's like the Hunger Games. You can have an operation center. Yeah. Yeah. I, and leaderboard will be cool too, because if you win the special challenges, we'll probably have a little indicator on the leaderboard showing who was winning those challenges, a little icon or something. That's what we're well, that. So this is amazing. For Shakeworks 2, were there any challenges outside of the technical ones that I think would be, were they the same ones as they are on the Open Shards Alliance now? Yeah, they may, the criteria may change, but that will be the basis of the challenges on OpenShards.io. Those challenges for sure will be in there because they're required to get a validator moving and going. But we, there may be, as, as we just discussed, Metapool and other partners are going to create new challenges, whether those go into the final voting criteria, we don't know. But there is one other key piece of criteria we're going to be looking at in the voting for the validators, and that is who's contributing back to the community, who's engaged, who really is a star standing out in this new competition. They're going to get some extra points. That is amazing. I'm going to take a two-minute break. Because I've been drinking lots of water. I don't know if what headaches these days. But when I come back, I'd love to learn more about some considerations for uptime. Yeah, people are going to have their service costs uh, covered. So maybe oh. don't go cheap. But what are some of the considerations to set something up? And we're back. Sir, you've mentioned uptime as a very important aspect for competitors. What should I know so that the AVB validator stays up? Yeah. What are the considerations around cloud providers, setups? I'm guessing that a lot of this is on the documentation, but while I have you here. Yeah, sure. So there are a couple of key points to managing your uptime. The one is latency on the network with near having the one second block time, three second finality. What that means is that you've got to have lightning fast internet. So what we've seen a lot in the past is that People get a VPS or a server that may not be in the best data center and the internet's a bit spotty and then that causes you to miss blocks. You have to actually hit 90% of your blocks per epoch and depending on your state, maybe you only get 10 blocks per epoch. So if you miss three of them or four of them, you're in real big trouble. So that causes you to be what's known as kicked. And if you're kicked from the network as a validator, you can rejoin, but it takes two epochs to three epochs to do that. And what that means is that uh, you're talking about 24 to 48 hours. So you're missing out on two days worth of rewards, two days worth of blocks. Are there any guidelines as to what optimal internet speeds are? Or are there any tools for people to be able to check their latency? Is this what you're referring to when you mentioned the monitoring tools? The latency, yeah. And really there's not any tools, really it's just picking a good data center. Are there any considerations there with the regional location of the data center? Because I'm wondering whether this could potentially lead to clusters of validators all close to each other. And then while they can have uptime, it may not be best for the centralization. Are there any challenges around that? Yeah, obviously part of the process of the stake wars and what happened with stake wars too is the network really was not only based on uptime and those things, but also we were looking at where these nodes are around the world trying to e increase decentralization. So I would say, yeah, you don't want to 
be in the same data center as all the other participants, which there are tools now that can check that out and see how many validators we come have coming from certain data centers. Yeah, distribution of that is really key for decentralization. Do we have any stats at the moment on the distribution of validators or? There used to be a chart on the Explore, explorednear.org, but I don't know if it's still out there. Let me just see. I can see the ranking or the list of validators. If you go to, yeah, explore.near.org and click on node val. Actually, I can share my screen. I don't know if they still kept the chart in there or not, but there was one at one time built. I don't yeah. really um, see it. So if I click on the nodes, yeah. you can see all the list. There used to be a data map of the world that showed. Oh, really? Where I'm going to bring were. it back because I can see that some of the validators do have a little flag. I'm assuming that would be the data center, not where the actual operators are located because they can be separate. Yeah, they can be separated. So we're, whichever country the node is operating in. So interesting. Yeah. This is, I love to geek out on these things because it's crazy to think that you can be located in any country, but you have a private server somewhere running transactions and it can be in a different country. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot to it. We are on a mission to put more Australian flags, African flags, South American flags on this chart. So. Yeah, it's going to be, oh, Thailand, that's good. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Do you know many people that are gearing up to participate on this round? I think folks that didn't make it in Stick Course 2, they're probably ready to go again from so coming through the Open Chart Alliance. And if we didn't make it, I'm sure they'll give it another shot, especially since the costs are being covered. Wish they were in Stake Wars 2 as well. So, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest. Yeah, I That's don't amazing. know how much, but I would imagine a lot. That's exciting. Thoughts on... Uh, we've talked a lot about the decentralization of the near network as a whole through the number of validators and spreading them by regions and ensuring, I guess, like the integrity of the operators by the engagement with the community. Has there been any thought given to the meta decentralization, namely the servers where those nodes are running? Would there be any risks of them all running on AWS or conversely, will there be any challenges? Will, will there be any benefits for us spreading across more cloud providers? Like, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of creating that as a challenge through meta, in a, encouraging people to create documentation for as many cloud providers as possible so that we can at least give people the option and make it super easy. I think that would be cool. Actually, yeah, we haven't had anything like that yet. So if we can create something with recommended cloud providers and maybe that list is 10 or 15 or even more, that would really help. Yeah, also I'm about to validate that one. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Er, Henry. Oh no, we've ducked you. Yeah. I am very conscious of your time and I am also very aware of a special secret project that has been tasked to you. With everything I've learned so far, you running Guildnet and being quite core to the expansion of near mainnet, I can't think of anyone better to 
carry on this special task. Why don't you tell me about Project Onyx? Yeah. So Onyx is going to be a community-owned and governed network that we're going to launch this year at some point. And so the idea really has its genesis in GuildNet as an experimental network that we created. There's just been a lot of interest in it. And uh, one of the things that we've gotten a lot of feedback from the community on was that people want incentivized network that's really controlled by the community. So that means where the tokens have value, but it's significantly less than what mainnet is to operate in. That was where the idea came from. So we vetted it for quite a bit of time, came up with what we thought would be good tokenomics for the network, came up with the DAO constitution on how the network would be managed. And we announced it today on the governance forum that Onyx would be coming forth. And so we'll officially launch that. And what's cool about it is that when I say we, a community, because we'll be building the website and the tools where anyone in the world at any time can literally go push a button on the Onyx website to launch the next phase of the network. We'll fully be the, a decentralized decision by the community to actually launch the different segments of the network. So that's what we'll be working on. There are so many questions. This is it could almost really be a separate podcast, but I know how busy you are. So while we have you in the seat, we're going to get it all out. So yeah. Onyx is basically going to be the mainnet version of Tildnet. Correct. Community-owned tokenomics. We could probably geek out for a while, but I guess that the first question that most people would probably have is, what would be the relationship between Onyx and like near mainnet? Is it technically a competitor? Who would be developing on Onyx or who would be developing on Near? How can we start to think of the different value propositions for both? And yeah, how should people start positioning themselves ahead of mainnet launch? How yeah. can they get involved? So really the way we're positioning Onyx is that although it is its own Near network, it really is being positioned as an incentivized test net. So it would be the place you would go to develop your dApp in a community-owned and driven network fashion. Right now, testnet's out there, but it's hard to get enough tokens on testnet to become a validator. And there's a lot of other dynamics that really don't work that well with testnet. So Onyx would more than likely supersede testnet in the future. So it would be a community-owned and governed testnet is what it would be. Oh, I get it now. That is super cool. So... It would be much closer to Kusama, Mr. Polkadot. Correct. Yeah. It's closer to that fashion. So near Sama, if you will, but it will be named Onyx. And Better than near Sama for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, in the community owned and governed, there will be a DAO that is funded with the funds from the sale and the community, whoever has tokens, whoever holds Onyx tokens will be able to vote and participate in the DAO. So it really be will be a community-governed network. So the testnet great, extends all the way into governance, human behavior, organization. There's, yeah, lots of experiments going on as far as like DAO governance go and people working collaboratively in projects. So this is going to be very interesting. With the potential replacement testnet status, say I've got AVB app 
and I launch on Onyx for testing purposes. And I want people to go bananas using the app. Will there still be mechanisms for testers or new users coming into the network for doing task-specific work? Let's say I use my app for three weeks. Will there still be mechanisms such as like a faucet or something akin to testing it where any wallet gets a hundred near? Yeah, a lot of those things have to be decided by the DAO once it's live. But I would definitely say that there will be mechanisms to incentivize people to use a network, build on the network, test on the network, become a validator. One of the ideas behind Audix is to really push the envelope of the nightshade design. So we'll have hundreds of validators, no, I'm sorry, thousands of validators, hundreds of shards is the idea, right? So it's going to be something that we want to push a little bit beyond mainnet as a community so that anyone can join and we can keep the price low so that people can test in a way that makes sense. Regression testing, all kinds of testing without actually having to break mainnet. That is amazing. So would it be right to say that people that participate in Stake Wars 3 and potentially people that participate in Stake Wars 2 and missed out, regardless of them getting a validator on near mainnet now, they should definitely also be looking at getting a validator on the community-run testnet Onyx launching later this year. Yeah, anticipated launch later this year. The one thing, the one key point about Onyx that makes it interesting is the only way to make it community-owned and community-governed is to sell 100% of the Genesis up front. <clears throat> so that's what part of the process will be is to sell the Genesis token. So if someone's interested in becoming a validator on Onyx, they'll definitely want to participate in the token sale that's initiated by the community so that they can have enough tokens to run a validator. The DAO at present will actually not have any tokens to start with. So the Onyx tokens will be in the hands of whomever within the community participates in purchasing those. Are the proceeds of the 100% sale going back into the DAO and then yeah. people vote with tokens? Correct. That is an incredible mindfuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the idea. Purchase the Onyx tokens with. So is the DAO going to be on near mainnet? The DAO will be on near mainnet initially. So what will happen is an ex-Onyx to token will be created that is non-transferable. That will take, that sale will take place. And then those, the proceeds from that sale will go to the DAO. And then um, at eventually at some point, depending upon some different scenarios, the network would launch and a bridge would be built to transfer or to claim those Exotics tokens on the real Onyx network. And then that's where they would be able to operate with those as a validator or DApp developer or whatever they would like. Interesting. And I assume that if the bridge is anything like the Rainbow Bridge to Aurora, which is just to near smart contract, it's going to be blazingly fast. No pun intended, please. Yeah. Place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it should be super exciting. And presumably if the sale is conducted in near, then the DAO treasury could be carried over as Rackneer on Onyx. Yeah, so there's still more details to figure out. But really it's a 
community-driven initiatives. So we're going to put the buttons out there and allow the community to guide the progress. And if they never launch it, they never launch it. And if they do, but there's a lot of interest, so I'm sure that it will be launched. But right now we've got to work through the dynamics of creating the website to actually take the physical actions because the first physical action will obviously be to create the DAO, to create the tokens, then to transfer the tokens to Skyward, to launch the sale. This will all be community-driven. Are, are you using the AstroDAO infrastructure for that? We would be using AstroDAO, yeah. Potentially going to be the fourth largest DAO, that's the Aurora ones. Those are pretty chunky. There's Ref, there's a handful of very core projects all using AstroDAO, which I love because I feel it's like a big statement as to the work that has gone into the product and just how robust it is. So there needs to be a pretty big trust component for you to put your entire treasury into this smart contract. Now that's amazing. For community members listening, if they want to get involved, what's the best to reach out, to read more, to start contributing? What kind of contributors are you looking between yeah. now and launch date? It's a community-driven effort. Right now, we don't have a budget and we don't have any commitment from the foundation or from near or from anyone. So to answer that question originally, there is no correlation there. It's, it's a completely independent process. But if you're interested in participating in that, please head to opencharge.io, join the okay. Open Charge Alliance Discord. In there, there's an Onyx channel that you can join up with. And we're looking for Rust devs, front-end devs, graphic designers, copywriters. We need a lot of different folks to pull it all off, but that's where we're at. This is so interesting. I feel like I'm reading a sci-fi book. <laughs> there's all these new concepts with every page and I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think of that. Because I would imagine that orking near for lack of a better term is not as complicated as just like clicking a button like copy paste there's a lot more to it <laughs> yeah there's more to it which means that we there's definitely some work to be done and we also have to make sure that astro dow whenever this launches has the ability day one to have token holder voting so the only way the dow works is for vote the holders to vote so yeah, that is a big one. I read on Twitter from Chloe, and I think she was subtweeting AstroDAO. It's meant to be coming soon. Having said that, I've heard that it's coming soon for the last six months. So we shall wait for that. Late Q3 on that feature. So obviously we're dependent upon that before we can officially launch anything. So we need that feature in there. And because the money would otherwise technically be locked in the DAO. Okay. So even if you launch it, there's not much that can happen. Okay. No, that's fascinating. Yeah. So you mentioned Skyward for the token sale. Yeah. Any deciding factors for choosing Skyward over other potential crowdfunding mechanisms? There could be other potential crowdfunding mechanisms. I think the idea is that it's just a 100% sell where the proceeds are what fund the network operation. So that's what's going to fund launching the network to 
get the right resources, to get the right servers, to get the right, all of the infrastructure needed to get the right people in place that can paid to actually do things. That's where the funds would come from. The reason why I ask is because Skyward has a fascinating mechanism because it's like a raw free markets price discovery mechanism. The project allocates the number of tokens and the price fluctuates with a direct correlation between the number of near or the currency that you use to purchase. So if you have 100 tokens available and people that posit $100, it's $1 each and the price can still change. So, so the tokens are distributed in real time, every block, and the price can still change, or I guess the amount of tokens that get distributed to you per block also change as the sale goes on. So at some point you may be like, it's super cheap. I'm going to buy more or it's too expensive. I'm going to pull money out. It's very good. I've found in bull markets, because obviously if there's more demand than tokens, you are going to get a very good deal. We've seen some projects that have had more challenges around like fair markets, because it's very hard to determine how much demand is going to be. And we actually had this problem with Manifold. Once you put the tokens into the smart contract, there's no way of pulling them out. You can't yeah, stop the sale. Yeah, as well. So yeah, people, yeah, yeah, I think you guys have the same problem, right? Yeah. So if people, when they're putting 10 bucks, they're going to get the entire stack of your tokens for 10 bucks. And then that would not be as bad if it weren't now the trading price for the token in the market, yeah. which it's a complete mess. So it's interesting to potentially look at diversifying. I'm always biased here, but I always try to disclose my biases as I am biased because I've been working on something for a long time that makes sense to me. Like the thinking about the problem and going in that direction came first before the actual solution. But yeah, I think that's something that MetaYield is trying to deal with. It's set token price over time. And you could even argue that there's more like balancing mechanisms there around locking STNIR, which in turn helping validators support the network. So we always see it as a supplementary to a fundraise due to the nature of it. It's only 10% of the senior deposited. It'd be very hard to do large amounts, but yeah, if you guys want to consider doing a small allocation for that, it could be interesting. There could be something. Yeah. Maybe that's just put to a vote, but yeah, obviously just the gist is we got to fund the thing somehow. And because uh, alternatively, you bloody community run and you know, I need a centralized entity. I need corrupt people. I yeah. suggest we buy a chunk of the tokens and then we <laughs> sell them through meta yield to people using STD here. But you don't like that, do you? Damn it. No, we really just need to put this thing in the hands of the community and let's hope that there's tremendous amount of support. So obviously one of the things that we need to do over these next few months is rally. We need to rally, get the message out, really push it, see if it's what the community really wants. We've heard a lot of feedback that it's what they want. It's going to be dependent upon them. It's a community governed initiative and we hope it goes off and it would really support the ecosystem, really give people the ability to join near that doesn't, that don't have 150,000 or a million dollars. It'll be another alternative to come in and support the test net and prop that up and hold that up in a decentralized fashion. It's really nice. It would be really cool to have a playing environment where people are not distracted 
or corrupted by the price of the token. It'd yep. be really nice to just be a builder's world. Come deploy, test, experiment, grow as a everything validator, your levels of proficiency as a user. I really like that aspect because I feel like it's very hard not to pay attention to price sometimes if your net worth is going up or down multiple X. Yeah. But it is also not ideal to let that get in the way of building. And building is very hard. So you have to remain focused. To lower the barrier of entry. That's really what the key points are. Lower the barrier of entry to near and bring the seat price down a thousand X or something even greater than that. And let the community fully run and decentralize this test net and really empower the community. I don't know if you guys planned it this way, but we have State Wars, two-month event. We're going to be big cheerleaders there. You're going to see me with the stake leaderboard in the command center. Um, <laughs> and then there's NearCon in Portugal. So I think those are yep. going to be two fantastic events to start drawing attention to Onyx. Yeah. We mentioned Kusama briefly. Are there any other examples or models that you're drawing inspiration from for Onyx, maybe even especially around the governance component and how to do it for the community run? No, it's just the feedback that we've gained over time. And like I said, the Genesis has always killed that, that we actually were able to pull together a community of validators and a community of people that were interested in writing something that had no value. So that was the thing. And then people voicing an opinion that testnet is hard right now. It's hard to get tokens. It's hard to get on there. How do you become a validator? It's a little bit centralized because the foundations or pagodas maintaining it, but it's really just a place for them to stage mainnet. It's really not for community development, if you will. Although it does take place on there. That is fascinating. I guess that makes sense. Because even for stake wars, we're creating a dedicated testnet first and then going over to testnet to have the mainnet environment. Sir, we will have to have you back on to dive deeper into Onyx because I feel like I have not done enough research on it, but everything that I hear, I like. And yeah, we should get offline to discuss that side deal for Onyx tokens. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anybody that's interested, there's an active governance po post up in gov.near.org that you can go search Onyx and you can look at the tokenomics and the description and everything on that. So to get more details, then jump into the OSA to engage. We are looking for people to get hands on. So come help us. Amazing. And I'll be including a link to all these references in the show notes. I always say that I spend way too much time working on these show notes. And I think people don't even know where to find them. Like you've got to click on them to drop down. But yeah, if you're interested, for sure, we'll make it super easy. All the links will be there. Just to recap, Stake Wars is coming. Open Shards Alliance will be running a validator bootcamp. Metapool will be partnering up to run some special challenges. There is going to be a lot of competition. We're going to try to make it a lot of fun. And there are some worthwhile re rewards. I was going to say remuneration. So that's not it. It's going to be some worthwhile rewards along the way for participants that prove their worth. Yes. Is there anything else we'd like to add, Blaze? No. Thank you for the time. And it's good. I hope this helps the community at large as we unravel these things and put a little more context around them. 
Thanks so much for being on. It's good to have someone technical to explore some of these concepts because I think a lot of us try to avoid them until we have to. But yeah. it's exciting to see the network hitting this milestone and to know the faces helping making it possible. It inspires a lot of trust and hopefully it inspires more people to get involved. Cool. Thank you. I think that's a wrap. Thank you, Blaze. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wild Use Your Interviews podcast. As always, a reminder that this content is for educational and entertaining purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as financial or any other type of advice, and you should always consult a licensed physician before gambling your money away on the internet. I hope that you had a good time, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you.